Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Welcome everyone to the Vineyard. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Christian Root and I'm the associate pastor here and just really glad to have all of you with us. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us via Facebook and those of you who are out in the parking lot as well. It's good to Good to be with you, and we, we especially want to welcome those of you who are with us for the first time. And so, if you are here for the first time, thank you so much for coming, and uh, we want to give you a welcome packet. So on your way out by the back doors, you're going to see some welcome packets sitting there on the table. Please do, please do take one of those on your way out, and, and again, thank you so much for visiting. Well, most of us are aware that this year we were not able to host our annual 5K race, and so we were disappointed about that, but but obviously it just wasn't tenable this summer. But we are still hoping to to raise some money for fresh water wells in India this year. And so here's what we're going to do. Coming up on the first three weeks of September, we're going to be selling brand new vineyard t-shirts out in uh, the parking lot or under the tents there in the grass. And so they're only going to be $10 each, and all of the proceeds will go to drilling fresh water wells in India through the awesome organization Charity Water. And so make sure that you you bring your credit card or bring some cash, 10 bucks, and that, that money's going to go to, to drilling fresh water wells in India. And then we're going to ask that on, on the weekend of September 26th and 27th, so that Saturday, that Sunday, whether you're going to the grocery store on that Saturday or coming to church on Sunday, that you wear your t-shirt one of those days. And if anyone asks you about your new t-shirt, you can certainly tell them about the church and you can direct them to, to Charity Waters organization website as well, just to, to get the word out about the need for fresh water in many places. And so be on the lookout for that. And if you have any personal needs at all, please feel free to, to shoot me an email. My email is christian at gcvineyard.org. And if you have any prayer requests or praises, you can also email or, or call our church office. And then lastly, we're, we're not going to be taking up a physical offering again this week. But if you have your tithes or your offering with you, please feel free to drop those off in the baskets on your way out. You can also, of course... Give online by going to gcvineyard.org and clicking on the giving tab, and you can also mail in your tithe or your offering to the church as well. So thank you guys again. Thank you for your your generous support. We really, really appreciate it. All right, let's pray one more time, and then we're going to jump into the word. Come Holy Spirit. We just thank you that you're here, that we thank you that you're moving already, and we, we just want more of you. There is nothing good that we can manufacture, that we can drum up through our own enthusiasm or through our own emotions. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to come and soften our hearts and prepare us to hear this word. We need you to to turn our eyes away from the distractions that, that perhaps are hounding us at the moment and help us to turn our gaze upon you afresh. We need you, Holy Spirit, to believe in in your goodness, to believe in your promises. I pray that you would put power on my words now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to teach this text correctly and help me to honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, I'm excited, church. We're going to be starting a new series today that we're calling Lessons from the Wilderness. Lessons from the Wilderness. You, you might be aware that throughout the Bible, the people of God repeatedly found themselves in the desert or in the wilderness. Adam and Eve, for example, they were banished from the Garden of Eden and they were sent into the wilderness after they ate the fruit from the forbidden tree. Abram sent out from Haran and entered the wilderness in order to enter the land that the Lord would show him. Jacob fled to the wilderness after he stole his brother Esau's blessing and feared for his life. Moses fled from Egypt and spent 40 years in the wilderness near Horeb. The Israelites were miraculously freed out of slavery from Egypt, but then they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. Land. I'm just going to keep going. David was anointed as Israel's future king, but then he spent several years hiding in the wilderness in En Gedi as he fled for his life from King Saul. Elijah was God's anointed prophet, but he spent three years in the wilderness being fed by ravens, which is wild. I wonder what that was like. And and he continued to spend some time in the wilderness after his. His showdown with the prophets of Baal. John the Baptist, he prepared for his ministry by spending a great deal of time in the wilderness. And then he ministered from the wilderness once he came into his public ministry. Shortly after being baptized, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And finally, the Apostle Paul, after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was led into the wilderness of Arabia, where he spent three years before beginning his apostolic ministry. I, I, I could keep going, guys, but we just don't have, don't have the time. When we examine the Bible as a whole, it becomes painstakingly clear that all of us are going to be asked to take a few laps in the wilderness at one time or another. The wilderness journey, it's, it's inevitable. And of course, I'm not suggesting that all of us are going to end up in the literal wilderness, sleeping with a rock for a a pillow and trudging through hot sand during the day. But all of us over the course of our our lives, we're, we're going to be forced to walk through harder seasons. Seasons in which we feel isolated from others or uncertain of our future or feel like our prayers aren't being answered. And certainly in a year like 2020, many of us might say that we find ourselves in the wilderness right now. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the wilderness experiences of men and women throughout the Bible, hoping to learn from their stories that we might follow Jesus well in the midst of our own wilderness journeys. And this morning, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13. And so if you have your Bible with you, why don't you head there with me now? Numbers chapter 13. It's going to be near the front of your Bible. It's the fourth book. Numbers 13, and and while you get there, let me catch you up on where we're at in this story. The the Israelites have just been miraculously freed from Egyptian captivity. Following a series of plagues which the Lord had released upon Egypt, the Egyptian pharaoh had finally told the Israelites to start walking. And when Pharaoh changed his mind and decided to chase after the Israelites, the Israelites were delivered when God used Moses to part the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape on dry land. 
And now, just a short time later, in Numbers 13, the Israelites arrive at the border of the promised land. They're on the doorstep of this land flowing with milk and honey that was first promised to Abraham and his descendants hundreds of years before. They're on the very edge of their destiny. This is exciting stuff. And and so now that we're all caught up, here's, here's what we read in Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So with the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And so so 12 men are selected, one from each of the 12 tribes, and they're selected to go out and, and spy on the land, to get a lay of the land, to to bring back a report about the people of this land and the produce of this land. And then let's skip ahead to to verse 26. This is what we read in verse 26. They, that is the, the 12 leaders who were sent to spy on the land, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And so God, as it turns out, wasn't wasn't joking. This is a land of milk and honey. But the people who live there, they said, and the cities, excuse me, skipped a line. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites lived in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And so there was two men, Caleb in chapter 13 and Joshua in chapter 14 as well, who said, No, 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 we need to go and take this land. Two of the twelve spies said, No, this is, this is ours for the taking, because because the Lord has promised it to us. But the other men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Enoch come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to, tell, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Twelve leaders were picked from Israel to go and spy on the land that God had promised to his people. When they returned, again, ten of the spies, all except Caleb and Joshua, said that there was no way they could overtake the peoples of this land. And this makes sense at one level because the the Israelites, they were not a great army. They they weren't battle-tested. They had just spent 400 years as slaves. And so the only thing the Israelites were good at was building someone else's empire. 
They wouldn't have had a storehouse of weapons. They wouldn't have had a fortified city. And so 10 of the men, of the 12 men said, this is a no-go. We should not enter the promised land. 10 of the 12, these were leaders of the people. And the people, after hearing this terrifying report from the spies, they wept aloud and they began to talk about returning back to Egypt as slaves. This passage, it represents perhaps the greatest spiritual failure in the Old Testament outside of Adam and Eve's tragic blunder in the garden. For it would have taken mere days to travel from the Red Sea to the border of Canaan. But when the Israelites refused to enter the promised land, we find out later in, in chapter 14 that God declared that no living adults, apart from Caleb and Joshua, would enter the promised land. And so the Israelites were consigned to a life of wandering in the desert for 40 years until all the adults had died. This was a 40-year mistake. Now, there are just two lessons I want us to take away from this first wilderness story. And here's the first lesson. Number one, when we fail to trust in the promises of the Lord, fear will dictate our decisions. You fail to trust in God's promises for your life, fear is going to dictate your decisions. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Did, did you catch that? The Lord said, send some men to explore the land which I am giving, which I am giving to the Israelites. Before the Israelites had stepped foot in the land of Canaan, the creator of the universe had already promised them that it would be theirs. And yet, just as we read, when the Israelites, they, they failed to believe in the Lord's promise. And listen, that. The fear that exists within our hearts is a direct result of our failure to trust in the promises of the Lord. Now, before I continue on, I, I need to be really careful here. I need to be careful because I need to make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to the promises of the Lord. When I reference God's promises, I'm not suggesting that it is fair game to open up the Bible and claim any and every promise found within it. Because a careful reading of the Bible tells us that not every promise in Scripture is meant for us. And so let me just give one example. And I, I know I'm going to step on some toes with this one, so please forgive me in advance, but, but here we go. In, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, we read these famous words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we love this verse. We love this verse because it's such an encouraging verse. I mean, who doesn't want hope? Who doesn't want to prosper? The problem is, is that it wasn't written for us. It was written to the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon. And so here's the verse in its wider context. This is what the, the Lord says in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I have carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29.11 was a specific promise given to a specific people, the exiles who were in Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 9, this is pretty interesting if, if you're ever wanting to check this out. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, who was in Babylon as an exile, he begins to read the promises of Jeremiah, and he begins to claim them as his own. After reading Jeremiah, he begins to pray and fast and ask the Lord to fulfill this promise. Jeremiah 29, 11 was a promise meant to be claimed by the Babylonian exiles, not 21st century Western Christians. And listen, I'm not going here because I... I I love ruining your favorite verse. But I'm going here because in all seriousness, the faith of many Christians has been absolutely shipwrecked because they believed in promises that weren't theirs to receive. That's why I'm going here. Not because I I just, I I love little tangents, but because this is serious for me. I, I guarantee you that many college graduates were given graduation cards this spring with... Jeremiah 29, 11, on the outside of the card, because that's what you do. If someone's graduating, you get them a card, Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But now that they've graduated and begun looking for a job in the midst of a global pandemic, my guess is that some of these same graduates don't feel like they're prospering. But that's because this verse, it wasn't meant for them. It wasn't a promise that they could claim. This past week, I've been reading through the biography of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored Westminster Chapel around 70 years ago in London, and he was one of the most influential pastors in the 20th century. Lloyd-Jones had a young man in his congregation named Carl Brun. Brun was a young man. He was recently married. He had just become a doctor. And he would travel over 40 miles to hear Lloyd-Jones preach. He loved the Lord. He was passionate about the Lord. When Germany attacked and then occupied Brun's native Denmark during World War II, Brun volunteered to be dropped into German-occupied Denmark so that he could provide medical relief to the Danish troops. On December 28, 1941, Brun was flown over Denmark so that he could parachute into the country. After saying farewell to the flight crew, Brun jumped out of the plane and his parachute never opened. The sad reality is, is God did know the plans that he had for young Carl Brun. The date of his death, it had been determined before he was even born. But sadly, Brun was not to prosper. He was not given a future, at least in this life. But instead, he would meet Jesus as a young man, as many young men did during World War II. Friends, when we examine the promises of God throughout the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, we do not find promise to us a life of ease or a life of good health. We do not find promises of uninterrupted success or comfort, but we do find promises that our God will be with us, will comfort us, and that he will give us the strength that we need by the power of the Holy Spirit to endure. And so now let's look for just a a moment at some of the promises that we do find 
in the Bible that we can claim for ourselves. And I assure you, even if Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't for us, there are still more than enough promises to go around. And so let's look at just a few of these quickly. Number one, the Lord promises to give you wisdom if you ask. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I wonder if there's anyone among us who might need some wisdom today. Perhaps James 1, 5 might be a, a verse you would want to highlight in your Bible that you would want to come back to. The Lord promises to provide a way out of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Again, I wonder if there are some amongst us who would need some help with temptation. Jesus promises that your salvation is secure no matter what. This is a good promise. This is, this is a promise to underline. John 10, 28. I, that is, Jesus says, give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is to say that there is not a sin that you could commit in your past or in your future that it will cause you to be snatched from the hand of Jesus when you cling to him, when you look to him as your Savior, when you receive from him the forgiveness that was secured for you on the cross. That's a promise worth circling. Jesus promises that your basic needs will be met. He doesn't promise you the, the house of your dreams, doesn't promise you the car, the truck of your dreams, but he promises that he'll meet your needs. Matthew 5, 30 and 31. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And then finally, another one of my favorites, Jesus promises to give more of the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Let us be a people who just shamelessly come and ask for more of the influences of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's a promise worth asking. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I mean, I just highlighted a few, but there's many, many more that we can look to in Scripture. Friends, these are promises that we can claim. These are promises that are meant for us. And these promises have been given to us that we might trust in the Lord and not like the Israelites in Numbers chapter 13, given to fear. Martin Luther, the famous German reformer, who was always a little rough around the edges. He, he would often pray three hours a day, and in his garden, he would, he would hold out his Bible, and working through the pages, he would bluntly demand that God keep his promises. Now, I would be pretty hesitant to demand that God do anything, but but you see the spirit of what Luther was, was doing. Luther would hold out the pages of his Bible and he would speak the promises of God back to him over and over again. Friend, I, I believe that two of the most powerful words we can utter while praying are these. You said. You said. Two of the most powerful words you can pray. You said. Jesus, you said in the Gospel of John, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and you know that I really need peace right now. 
You know that I'm struggling with fears about my health. You know that I'm, I'm struggling as I await these test results. But you said, you said my peace I give to you. So I'm asking you right now for fresh peace. You said, you said. Jesus, you said that I matter to the Father more than the birds of the air or the flowers in the field. So I'm asking you right now for provision. You know that my hours have been cut in half. I don't know when I'm going back to full time. We were just squeaking by as it was, and so I'm asking for provision. Would you provide for our family? You said, you said, Jesus, you said that if the weary and the burden come to you, you will give them rest, and you know that I'm anxious. You know that I can't seem to turn my mind off and that I can't seem to stop from running through worst-case scenarios all throughout the day, but you said you would give rest to the weary and the burden. You said, you said. Robert Murray McShane, famous 19th century Scottish pastor, he said that every time we look at our sin, we should look ten times at Jesus. And I would add to this great saying by, by offering this, every time you look at the source of your fear, you should look ten times at the promises of God. Circle them, memorize them, Put them on your dashboard. Place them in your lunch bag. Stick them on your bathroom mirror. Repeat them throughout the day. For these promises, they have been given to you, church, that you might conquer your fear. Friend, if you want freedom for your fear, cling to the promises of God found in Scripture. And then here's, here's my second and final point. I've got to hurry up here. Number two, facing our fear is inevitable if we want to receive all that our Father has for us. That's the second lesson we learned from this story. We have to face our fears. The Israelites, they were brought up right to the very edge of the promised land, as we already discussed, this land which God had set apart for them. But they were unwilling to face their fears, unwilling to attack the people of Canaan, and so they were forced to wander in the deserts. And friends, if we allow fear to dictate our decisions, like the Israelites, we're going to live a a safe but a boring existence, never stepping into the life that God truly wants for us. If we allow our fear of people to keep us from talking about our faith at work, we'll be safe from any awkward conversations at work. It's true. And yet we'll miss out on seeing anyone around us take steps towards Jesus. If we allow our, our fear of being a new person to keep us from joining a home group, our, our Wednesday nights are going to be pretty comfortable as we sit at home, but we will never feel truly known by others in our church. If we allow our fear of kids to keep us from volunteering at an after-school program or keep us from becoming a big brother, a big sister, we'll never have to feel outdated or uncool around children or teens. And yet we'll never experience the joy of making a real difference in a young person's life. Friends, there is simply no way to pursue the calling on your life without stepping into situations that provoke anxiety and fear within you. There's no possible way for you to make a real difference in the lives of others without, without experiencing some level of awkwardness or fear. And if you don't believe me, simply ask people in our own congregation whom God has used. Ask foster parents if they were 100% confident in their decision to foster before 
they finally bit the bullet. Ask home group leaders what it was like to lead their first Bible study, what they were feeling in that moment. Ask counselors in our church what it was like the first time they were in a room alone with a client. Ask Pastor Tom what it was like to plant a church. Friend, a quick review of the Bible, a quick glance at any Christian biography that you will ever read tells us that the kingdom of God does not move forward unless, Jesus, unless followers of Jesus are willing to say yes, even though they're afraid, and even though they're, they feel desperately inadequate for the task. I, I believe that one of the most revealing questions that we can ask ourselves is this. One of the most revealing questions, am I doing anything right now that scares me? Is there any part of my walk with Jesus right now in which I regularly say, Jesus, I need your help with this because I feel like I'm in over my head. And if there's nothing in your life that you can point to that feels a, a little scary, a little nerve-wracking, if we are, in other words, in absolute cruise control, I would suggest that we're missing out on what the Lord has for us. I would suggest that there's more that the Lord has for you to do, more ways to serve or to help or to encourage, if you would be, but be willing to step out in the midst of your anxiety. Listen, many of us struggle when we read through the first few books of the Bible. I'm thinking specifically about Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And do you know why these books are so challenging for so many of us? Why so many of us just can't wait to get to Joshua, or why so many of us just can't get, wait to get back to the New Testament? It's because a life without risk, it leads to a boring story. The Israelites, they refused to enter the promised land when directed by the Lord, and so they lived a boring story. They wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. And when we allow fear to dictate our decisions, we too live a boring story. We too live a boring life. And so before criticizing the book of Numbers as we read through it in our own devotional time, we should first ask if our story would be worth reading by others. We should ask ourselves, would my life be a good read? And if not, if not, perhaps it's because like the Israelites, we've chosen comfort over obedience. We've chosen security over significance. So as we head to the end of this talk, as I get ready to land here, let me ask you a question. Where is God asking you to step out? Where is God asking you to push past your fear of inadequacy and follow his lead? Can you put your finger on something? Particularly if you would say there's nothing even remotely scary, even a little nerve-wracking that you're pursuing at the moment. Perhaps God is asking you to begin calling an aging parent regularly. You're not estranged from your mom or dad, but you're not exactly close either. And perhaps God is asking you right now to rebuild a connection with a parent, even if you fear the awkwardness, even if you don't know what you will talk about. Perhaps this is a time where you would say, I, I need to join a home group. We have, we have a list of our home groups out on the wall in the lobby. I encourage you after the the service, why don't you stop, why don't you take one of those cards and give a leader a call this week. 
Perhaps the Lord is, is nudging you to begin tithing, to begin giving 10% of your gross income to the church. And listen, I, I don't bring this up because we are in dire straits financially as a church. I, I bring this up because I know that for many of us, we struggle with the fear of, of losing control of our money, that we struggle. 10%, that is, that is a lot. I, I understand that's what the Bible says, but that is... That's a lot. And perhaps now is the time when the Lord is saying, no, now is the time to push past this fear of control and to begin giving what the Lord has, has given to you. Perhaps this is the time for you to begin praying in earnest for two or three co-workers every day, praying for their salvation and asking God to, to provide opportunities for you to share with them what Jesus has done in your own life. Just two or three co-workers. Who, who are the two or three people you might commit to praying for every day and, and looking for opportunities to share Jesus with them? Where's God asking you to step out? Let us not live lives that if read by others would bore them to tears. But let us face our fears. Let us step into the calling that God has for us. Let, let me end with this illustration and then we'll get ready to close. I shared earlier that the German reformer Martin Luther, he was a man of great faith, and, and he was. Wasn't he praying three hours a day, holding out his Bible, repeating the promises of God back to him? But, but you know, like many of us, Luther did experience times of discouragement and doubt. And there was one season in particular when, when he was given to sulking and complaining. One day when Martin Luther returned home, he found his wife, Kate, dressed in black. And their children sitting around her were dressed all in black as well. And so Martin Luther, he shouts out, oh no, who has died? Why, Kate said, his wife, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust. So Luther immediately bursts into a great laugh, and he said, Kate, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off thy black. What an awesome story. And guys, if you're a single guy here and you're, you're hoping to settle down, that's the kind of wife that you want to be looking for, okay? Just saying, just saying. Friends, if we're honest, some here might confess that we've been living as if God were dead. We've been living as if his promises for us are no longer relevant. And if that's, if that's true for you, my encouragement would be to go and take off thy black and trust in the promises of God once again. Let us face our fears head on. Let us step out in obedience, even if it's anxiety provoking, remembering that we serve a mighty God who is our strength and our shield and who has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? Amen. Church, let's worship together.